Church, you look awesome today. My name is Savannah and I serve on the pastoral leadership team of our church. And as part of my job, I help oversee our door holder ministry teams. What is a door holder, you ask? It's someone who has tasted what's on the inside and wants to hold the door open for others. In our case, it's just someone who has tasted the goodness of Jesus and wants to hold the door open for others to know him as well. One of the teams that I wanted to update you on today is our Antioch Kids team. Our kids team members invest in the next generation by discipling our kids on Sunday mornings. Here is one story of a volunteer and what God did in his own heart as he stepped out to serve. Having eight nieces and nephews, I loved spending time with children and became quite familiar with their unique perspectives and boundless curiosity. I thought joining the children's ministry would be as fun as being with my family at home, but I quickly began to understand it was more than just managing outbursts and playing games to keep them entertained. God grew the love I had for my own family to be shared with the children and families I saw every week. I then began to take greater ownership in my role teaching these children biblical concepts and through their questions and responses, received a better understanding of those concepts myself. Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing what God is doing through you guys as you seek to follow him and serve. I want to particularly honor the Antioch Kids team for the way you serve and our godly examples for our children. God is using your investment to shape the generations to come. Way to go! Second, this summer we are offering a mission trip to work with the Antioch Church in the Dominican Republic. The dates for the trip are July 14th through 22nd. If you would like to be a part of sharing the gospel, discipling believers, and investing in the church in the Dominican Republic this summer, you can get more information on the events page of our website. Before we transition to the sermon, I wanted to invite all the new people in our church to our monthly Welcome to the Family Dinner. This is an opportunity for us to eat some great free food, meet some incredible people, and get to know more about how you can be part of our church. Our next dinner is on February 26th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. You can sign up online via our website. All right, church, that's it for this update. Let's prepare our hearts for God's word to us today as we continue our series of 1 Peter, Grace for the Everyday Stuff of Life. Amen. If you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, while you're going there, I just want to give you a little building update. Uh, as you know, we are in the process of moving to a new location. That's exciting. Work is being done on our space. The walls are in. The HVAC is supposed to be finished up this weekend. Uh, and then floors are being treated and paint's happening uh, in the coming week or so. If you've ever done a construction project yourself, you know sometimes it's a little bit like a Jenga puzzle. Trevor, you know what I'm talking about, where one thing is dependent on another, that's dependent on another, that's dependent on another. So sometimes they're, they're, things speed up faster than you thought or slow down, and so we're working through those. Uh, somebody asked me, hey, how do I know where to come to church each week? I'll let you know when it's time that we're moving, so you make sure that you know that. Others of you have asked, hey, how can we help? I know we gave financially to the project, but is there a way we can serve practically as well? And we're getting to the point where we can use volunteer teams. Don't know how good a volunteer team would be on like HVAC installation, right? But there are other things that we can uh, work together on, and that'll be fun uh, to do and bonding to do as a way to sow into what God's doing 
in our midst, so I'll keep you updated on that. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're new, we love the Bible uh, around here, and we're reading through 1 Peter, studying through 1 Peter, being shaped by 1 Peter. It's a letter from the Apostle Peter, one of the original disciples, written to the, some early Christians, meaning a long time ago, about who Jesus was, what he's done, and how that impacts and was to impact or shape their life individually and together in their generation. And it's in a series of kind of fortune cookie statements kind of pasted together, right? But this is a letter to the church and it has context and continuity. And we're working through section by section uh, each part. So today the section that we're going to work through is actually going to hit on politics, and so that'll be interesting. Last night we had some friends of our kids over, and we were uh, eating dinner together, and we had some hot sauce, and I asked one of them, you know, do you like spicy stuff? He's like, oh, yeah, pour it on, right? I poured a little bit. He's like, oh, give me more than that. Pour it on, pour it on to where it got really spicy, you know, and I don't know that we're going to get a spicier topic than what we're talking about today in the Scripture. So I hope you like spicy food. We're going straight there, religion and politics, and that's where Peter is going. So he says, Beloved, in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You remember we looked at that verse last week. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So if you remember last week, we hit on the first portion of this section we didn't get to cover the latter portion, and so we're actually slowing down our schedule through First Peter to make sure we look at this. I don't know of a more fitting uh, topic to be addressed that's going to help us individually as a community than these words today, right? And so just to review last week, Peter reminded these Christians, and I want to remind you, right, first that you're loved by God. You need to know that today, right? He said, beloved, right, that we are loved by God, not because of how well you did this week or how poorly you did, not because of how your work presentation went, what your boss said about you, didn't say about you, what that boyfriend or girlfriend, spouse, significant other did the same, but you are loved by God because God loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. That's the kind of love that God has for you. Peter reminded these Christians of that. Number two, he reminded them of this new identity that they've been given. They're not just normal people, but they are sojourners. They're aliens, that they have a different homeland, a different value system, a different orientation, a different worth, right? That it just comes from a completely different source. The gospel has made them that, has given them that, and that's to shape them. That's a foundational piece for how they're to understand the actions that come next. And we went through those, and we saw the power 
that when we realize that we have our value and our worth and our significance, uh, not through what we do or don't do, but because of who Jesus is and the way he has loved us, man, it's a game changer. Peter says, look, because of what Jesus has done for you, you don't have to build your life on the passions of the flesh, right? We covered that last week. You don't have to build your life on pride, on greed, on lust, on those type of things. That's not the new community that God is building. Why? But he said, you don't need to acquire letters before your name or after your name or think your worth and your significance depends on what level of status you have in society or, or, or don't. That's not the measure of your success or failure. It's what Jesus has done for you. And so you don't have to spend yourself on that. Wow, that frees up a lot of bandwidth of our mental, emotional, and financial kind of resources. He said, you don't have to spend your life, you don't have to spend your energy on greed, thinking again that your worth in society is how much money you have, what your paycheck is, what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in. That's not where your value lies, but your value and your significance lie in what Jesus has paid on your behalf, the ultimate price. Again, freeing up some bandwidth in our lives. He's saying you don't have to build your life and your significance and your joy on sexual expression and experience because Jesus, the ultimate satisfier, has opened up the floodgates of satisfaction for you, and he's the one you're really looking for, and he'll satisfy your soul so you don't need to live that way, right? And the fruit of that. Pride crushes, greed uh, exploits, sexual kind of exploitation uh, crushes. Again, right, he's saying it's a new community that God is building, a new humanity, if you will. He went on to say that now, with all that resource freed up, you can spend yourself on good works. You can spend yourself on doing good. And we saw the story of the police officer and the wrongly accused man last week and how God was at work in their, uh, in their relationship, and in both services after playing the story, we didn't know what to do except applaud. Like, it's just interesting, like, when you just, wow, that's amazing. And that's the kind of life that you and I get to live, that Jesus has freed us, that we could spend ourselves on doing that kind of stuff. Man, that's really exciting. He moves on now, talking about this new community. He starts talking about how it works in the political square, how it works in the public square, right? He's going to start talking about politics. And to make sure you understand kind of this context of what he's saying, because we're going to work through verse uh, 13, 14, and on down, you need to understand a little bit about where these people lived, where they found themselves in history, right? He's writing to Christians who live under Roman rule. In their day, Rome was kind of the, the king of the hill, the, the, the largest empire, the largest nation state the world had ever seen. If we can put up that map of Rome, right, this is where they lived, and Rome stretched kind of the highlighted areas, so everyone these Christians knew Every one of their family members, every one of their family members' family members all lived somewhere within the Roman Empire. As far as they could see, as far as they ever knew, I mean, this was, wow, Rome is the big deal. The leader of Rome was called Caesar, right? Uh, and under C the Caesar, just another word for emperor or king, but under the Caesar's leadership, specifically Caesar Augustus, right, he had led Rome to this kind of status. He had led Rome to an unprecedented peace 
right? If you fell asleep in eighth grade social studies like I might have done a time or two, you're like, I know a little bit about Rome, but I, I slept through that part. I'm just going to remind you, right? Rome is in a time period of unprecedented peace known as the Pax Romana, right? They're just experiencing peace. They're experiencing prosperity. Uh, people are just, there's money and money and money, right? There's prosperity. There's peace. There's just glory to Rome. And it looks like Rome has no beginning and has no end. And so the people are like, man, who could do this but a God? Caesar must be God. And Augustus Caesar, kind of like that, just like you and I, we kind of like when people worship us a little bit, when they say, wow, who could be like you? And so they started worshiping Caesar. They started saying, Caesar is Lord. They started setting up holidays and festivals and shrines. And they said Caesar's birthday, like when he was born, and his inauguration day, they were evangelion. They were good news. Let me celebrate. That was the good news of the kingdom coming. That was the good news of peace coming. That was the good news of prosperity coming. It's all about Caesar. And Caesar's kingdom, Rome, is the eternal kingdom. It has no end. Life has reached its pinnacle. That's what they said. That's the kind of worship that Caesar liked. Right? That's where these Christians live. Everywhere around them, everyone they know, this is the fastest growing religion of their day. This is sweeping the land. Right? And yet, they have been captured, captivated, enamored, undone with not Caesar as Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Right? And they're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not Caesar who has brought this peace that we experience. Actually, the peace that we experience in Rome is an artificial peace. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus is the one who really gives peace. It's not Rome. It's the eternal kingdom. It's Jesus' eternal kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's not Caesar's birthday that's the good news. It's Jesus' birthday that's the good news, right? That they've been captivated by this message, right? Just like we here, though we don't live in the same time of Augustus Caesar or later Nero, who's the, the Caesar at the time of this writing, but man, our world is covered with Caesars. All around, this is the good news. This is what brings the good life. This is what's worship. This is the eternal kingdom. And we, as a community, are saying, we've been captivated and enamored and drawn in by not Caesar as Lord, but Jesus as Lord. Right? And there's a big contrast between Caesar as Lord and Jesus as Lord. And it's going to create some tension. That's what we're going to talk about. But just to bring you up to speed, right? Caesar as Lord, his kingdom was built on the power of the sword. Okay, the way the kingdom was expanded and held together was with a sword, with the army. So everywhere in the middle, in the highlighted region, experienced peace because if you stepped out of line, you would be smacked down. The edges were not experiencing peace, but the kingdom was advancing through conquest with the sword. That's Caesar's Lord. Jesus' Lord says our power is not in the sword but it's in the cross, that, that our kingdom doesn't advance through violent conquest, but actually advances through sacrificial love, led by Jesus who gave himself 
for us and advanced by Christians who were giving their very lives for their neighbor. That was the way it went forward. The peace in Caesar's kingdom was an artificial peace. It was an external kind of behavior modification. You kill someone, you're going to be killed. Don't step out of line. It didn't bring peace to the heart. But Jesus, Lord, the gift that he'd given in the gospel brought real peace from the inside out. A true peace. It didn't just change behavior, it changed motives. It changed the heart. Caesar is Lord. Uh, he said, man, these people are hungry. Let me give them bread. And if I give them bread, they'll, they'll worship me. They'll, they'll like me. They'll approve of me. That's what, how he did it. Jesus is Lord saw the same hungry people and gave himself as bread, not for their affection, but from a place of his affection. They had captured his heart. Caesar as Lord was built on uh, economic uh, oppression, like the rich got richer, uh, breaking the backs of the poor and the lowly. Jesus as Lord actually said, it's not, our kingdom is not the strong eat the weak. It's not the rich break the poor, but it's the strong serve the weak. It's the rich serve the poor. Wow, you're starting to see kingdoms in conflict here, right? Uh, Caesar's kingdom said, hey, if you have the power, express yourself sexually however you want, right? And it left behind a trail of exploitation and oppression. And you can read about it in the Roman history books. Jesus as Lord championed purity and covenantal faithfulness. And what it left behind was a wake of healing and wholeness. Right? And so you see the differences. Caesar as Lord was tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus as Lord championed mercy. And justice. And so there's kingdoms in conflict because to say Jesus is Lord was to say Caesar is not. Right? And Caesars don't like that, if you don't know. Right? So these Christians, you know, they've just been, Jesus is so awesome. They're like you and me, they're singing the songs, they're just doing the communion. Like, how do we live in this world where people don't believe what we believe? They don't like what we like. They don't approve of the way that we're living. And not just like in a neutral way, but in a, we're coming after you. In fact, these Christians were going to experience violent persecution. Like, how do we, how do, we do this? Right? And there's a couple responses when you're thinking this through. Number one is you can kind of retreat. Just say, hey, I'm going to keep my faith private. Right? In my house, with my friends, you know, this we'll, we'll, we'll live this out. But when I leave this house, when I go to work, when I go out in the public, man, I just need to keep this behind my back. I'm just going to privatize, you know, who I am. Or it's like, man, we're going to start a, a revolution. We're going to take on Caesar head on. We're going to overthrow that guy. He's terrible. We're going to bring him down, right? We, we read about some, or I talked about some of those guys last week that kind of thought that way. That's two, two ways of response. Peter comes with a very uh, different a radically other approach that, that we're going to see with that context. He says this to them. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperor, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him. Be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So he comes against, he says, hey, you can't privatize your faith. You can't just keep it in private just for you when it's convenient and comfortable. But he's saying, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you public to subject yourself to be out in public under the emperor, under the governors, not for your own sake, not for your own agenda, but for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. So he's calling them public for the Lord's sake, that God was at work through their public faith. Now think about that, right? He's calling them public. And if you're thinking about one of the main teachings of Jesus, right, it's love your neighbor as yourself. It was going to be very hard for them to live out that teaching if they just kept their faith to themselves. Because to love their neighbor as themselves was going to require them to engage in the political, public life around them. I was just thinking through my week this week. I want you to think through yours. I had a friend call me who is uh, an immigrant to our country, uh, a refugee who had, uh, had some money stolen from him, a significant amount. And he's stuck, and he's like, Zach, I don't know what to do, right? And if my faith is just private, I just leave him there. But love your neighbor says, hey, I need to get involved somehow. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know a ton about the, the legal system or systems related to refugees or immigrants. I, I don't know. But love your neighbor is requiring me to take time to learn and engage and to be public, with my faith. Why are you doing this? Well, I'm supposed to love my friend. Uh, I had another situation, a friend who's working through a custody situation with a child. Again, I don't know a ton about custody laws in, in Texas, but, but to love my friend, right, requires me not to stay private, but to engage and to learn, right? These Christians were faced with the same thing. If we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to have to go public with our faith, with our motivation, with our value system. There's just no way. And you're like, oh, Zach, shouldn't people just keep their values to themselves? Like, again, just do religion on your own, your own space. That makes you happy. Cool. Publicly, we don't need that. Well, I know there's some, some uh, it, it appears that there's merit to that, but that's just not really, with all respect, that's not the way life works. And let me just give you an example. If we were to take a group of people from an Eastern culture, let's say East Africa or Asia, where their value system, their cultures value community and family over individual expression. And we were to put them in one room, and we were to take a group of people from France or Great Britain or Canada or the U.S. where we value individual expression over family and community, and we put them in another room. And we were to say, hey, uh, come up with some uh, marriage and divorce laws to kind of govern your community you realize that both groups will come up with radically different laws, radically different policies, radically different views. The group that was community and family, it's going to be much harder to get divorced with them. The individual expressions will be much easier, right? Everyone brings their values to the table when we start talking about community life. Everyone does. Call it religious, call it secular, call it whatever type of belief system, but our values come out. So when we're called into the public square, we're going to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake 
right? It is bringing the values of Jesus as Lord into the public square. There's, there's no way around it, okay? So those are two things. Third thing that I just want you to note right here is where your hope lies when it's for the Lord's sake. You see, in Rome, hope was in Caesar. He was the one that was going to deliver us the good life. And now we talk about Caesar, and you're like, are you talking Caesar salad? Are you talking Little Caesar's pizza? Are you talking a place to go gamble? Like, we don't even really know who Caesar is anymore. But then, she's like, man, this is the guy that's going to deliver us the good life, right? And we've replaced Caesar with a thousand other names. I mean, we could go through history or even our own lives with just those things. It's like, oh, this is... Man, this relationship or this political party or if this person got into office, oh, the good life. And for the Lord's sake, it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not where our hope lies. Jesus is the one. It's his kingdom. It's his way. That's what we're about. So he's saying submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Okay? Now, I want to uh, counterbalance this with this scripture right here has been used many times in church history to validate and to support practices that are unjust by people in power and have used this to say, well, submit yourself. I'm in power. Submit yourself to, for my sake, for the Lord's sake, to me. And we can just, we can go through example after example, and is that what Peter is saying here? That the status quo of injustice is, um, you know, that's just kind of the, the deal, right? That submit, be quiet. That's not what he's, that's not what he's saying here. Right? He goes on to say that governors, that it wasn't Caesar who was Lord, but Jesus who was Lord, wasn't Caesar who's the ultimate decision, but look, in verse 14, emperors and governors were sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Where were good and evil decided? Where was justice and injustice decided? It wasn't by who was the ruler of the day. It was by Jesus, Lord, the ruler of all, right? Peter himself is the one who said to the governing bodies, you tell me what's right, to obey man or God. I'm going to obey God, right? So at the same time that, that Peter is calling them forward to engage and submit themselves and to be a part of the political public community, he's not using it as license for evil or to keep the status quo, but he's saying, right, we're to go forward and we're to be mindful of true justice, true good, true evil, and we're to be a voice for that. Now, I just want to walk through some, some church history that's going to bring a little humility to us. John Calvin, man, used powerfully by God. Reformation, time period, you can go look it up on, uh, on Wikipedia if you don't know who he is. Man, used powerfully by God in his day. At the same time, he was involved in the murder of someone who didn't agree with his doctrine. Uh, Martin Luther, again, used powerfully in the Reformation. We're selling 500 years of Reformation right now. Used powerfully by God. Made anti-Semitic statements. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, used powerfully by God in our nation to establish and advance the gospel on slaves until he died. 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr., used powerfully by God to advance civil rights, preached the Bible, like amazing, and was committing adultery. And I don't say that to point the finger at anyone else. I say it to bring a little humility to our own lives of what's the spirit of our age? What are the sins that are normal to our community that we're blind to? And I just hope that you hear that. It brings humility in me of like, God, please open my eyes to your way of justice, your way of righteousness. What you say is evil. Let that shape me, not what's just comfortable to the people around me and the community that I'm a part of and the generation in which I live. Right? I hope this brings humility to us. And as we start to kind of dive in to, okay, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, good and evil, what, what we find is that oftentimes it's our political views where some of our deepest values are exposed. And for our conservatives in the room, right, we start hearing some of Jesus' agenda on uh, economy, immigration, health care, those type of things. And we're like, ooh, I, I don't know. We find Jesus too liberal for the conservatives. And for our uh, for us liberals, right, you start to hear Jesus' views on purity and sexuality and those type of things. We're like, ah, Jesus is too conservative for us liberals. Like he doesn't fit in a Republican or Democrat box or whatever other political party you come up with. Jesus won't be co-opted into your party to support your agenda, right? For the Lord's sake means, man, I'm, I'm letting my agenda be shaped by Jesus as Lord, not Zach as Lord or Democrats are Lord, or Republican is Lord, or this president is Lord, or that president is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, right? That's where, it's not Caesar, it's not Nero, right? That's what, that's what Peter is saying. So keep going, then he starts talking uh, more in depth about this in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we come back to this same uh, push, for the gospel, the grace we've received is to overflow in us doing good, being involved in good works, right? It's not just good news, but it's good works that flow out of that good news. That's what we're to spend ourselves on, not just in our interpersonal relationships, but in the public square. That's what Peter is talking about here, in the public square, to spend ourselves on doing good works. That just gets me excited, it gets me excited to think about the, these Christians, like that we're hearing. You know what this connected for them? <laughs> they built their own welfare state within the Roman Empire. Because in Rome, if you had a lot, you were good. But if you were weak or poor or broken, you were nothing. And these Christians said, hey, we're going to love our neighbor. And they built their own welfare state. And it transformed the Roman Empire. When a plague swept through Rome and all the rich fleed, right, who had enough resource, it was the poor who left behind. The Christians stayed to love them and gave their lives for them, and it left the world. Wow. Who are these people? This isn't a statement about rich or poor. I'm just trying to say this is how they lived it out. Healthcare. They were the ones that set up healthcare systems to care for people. Right? This is how they, giving themselves for good works. Man, what are the good works that God's going to have us give ourselves for in our generation that's going to lead people? Wow, that's amazing. Because when it says silenced right here, it's not like silenced through 
shut your mouth, don't talk, keep your mouth shut. Is silence the kind that you get when you see something awesome? Like when uh, Tom Brady came back last week in the Super Bowl and you're like, what? But multiply it by a thousand times, wow. Can you believe that's what we get invited into? Man, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's good news. And then he goes on to say, in verse 16, the same concept that we've been building, the freedom that we've been given, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That the freedom we've received is not just a freedom from to kind of do our own thing, but it's a freedom for to give ourselves wholly to the purposes of God in our generation. And then he sums it up, verse 17, and this is where we're going to close. Verse 17 is a summary statement. What does this look like? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, if you think it's been spicy so far, here we go, even spicier. So the emperor at this time is Nero. Little, little facts about Nero. Nero killed his mom. Um, Nero was married multiple times, both as a man and as a woman. And Nero, when he'd throw dinner parties would use Christians as tiki torches, meaning you believe in Jesus, great, we're going to put you on a stake, we're going to light you on fire, you're going to be the lights for our dinner parties. That's Nero. Peter's writing, honor Nero. Honor the emperor. What? Like, I have a hard time honoring people who do put stuff on Facebook that I don't like. I don't know about you, Right? And this is saying, I need to honor Nero? <laughs> wow. Man, put like 25 jalapenos in that salsa. That's, that's tough. How could he say that? How could he say that, right? Well, he, he's pointing back to the fact that every single one of these Christians hearing this originally and every single one of us have been honored when we didn't deserve it. That our story is not that we were honorable and God came and honored us, but that we were lost, stray, enemies of God. We were just as happy. I mean, if I'm really real, uh, there are many days in my early life, and even now, where I'd be happy to spend my life on Zach as Lord. And I bet you would too, right? And yet, Jesus came for us. God put skin on, came for you and me, a people who didn't deserve it. And he honored us by his presence in the incarnation. He honored us. I mean, just washing the disciples' feet. He honored us by going to the cross for our sins. He honored us by not calling us slaves, but calling us friends. He honored us by adopting us into God's forever family. Because we've been honored when we didn't deserve it, we're empowered to honor those who don't deserve it. That doesn't mean that it was, they were to agree with Nero. That doesn't mean that they were to say everything he said was right. No. There are people that worked for good. There are people that worked for justice. There would be people that exposed evil. But in the way they went about it, there was a spirit of honor about them. And I'll be really honest. Man, I want to do that. That's really hard for me. And maybe it is for you too. When we look at our, it's really easy for me to write off and dishonor people who believe differently than I do, who think about issues differently than I do, this political leader or that political leader. And I'm just like, oh, but for the Lord's sake, I've got accompaniment from the car alarms. For the, for the Lord's sake, 
right? For the kingdom's sake, for Jesus as Lord, let me and let us be a people that express honor as we spend ourselves on doing good. Good that may not be called good by the law of the land or the, or the, the ruler of the day, right? But good before Jesus is Lord. Good before the king, right? And to honor as we go with great humility, realizing just like I told you that we're so prone to the sins of our generation and the blind spots that we're so quick to accuse in others. We often have so much in ourselves, right? We need this grace. And so what I'd like for us to do is we're going to put the, leave this verse up here. And, and I know in this room there are 100,000 situations going on. Maybe yours is a political one. Maybe yours is a relational one. Maybe it's like, man, I realize I've made Jesus into my own uh, political party. Or maybe it's something just you're going to think of a person. That person on Facebook that you, oh, just want to let have honor. Okay. And we're going to let the Spirit of God speak through the Word of God so that we can know how we can live this out in our day. So, Jesus, thank you that you've honored us uh, when we don't deserve it. That we've experienced this radical grace in which you give. Thank you that it's not Caesar that's Lord, it's not Zach that's Lord, it's not fill in the blank that's Lord, but that it's you that are Lord. It's you that are Lord over all. It's you with the kingdom and the power and the honor and the glory. It's you with the real peace. It's you with the real provision. It's you with the real grace. It's you with the real satisfaction. And I pray you'd open our eyes to see that afresh today. And that having seen that, Lord, that we would radically spend ourselves on doing good, on working for justice, on loving mercy, on loving our neighbor, on honoring you in the public square, regardless of what it may cost us, Lord. And let us do that with honor for our leaders. Whether we agree or disagree, let us be a people marked not by a negative spirit, a critical spirit, a fault-finding spirit, a judgmental spirit, but with a spirit of honor, of love, and humility, Lord. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to us now as we look at your word, how you would have us live this out in our lives, in our generation, in our city, in Jesus' name. As the scripture's up here, let's take time to reflect on it.
You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. I'm no longer a slave to fear. 